Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Off Talk Empire, podcast went down to Yipsy. They were looking for some action ball. And also other things happened. Today on Off Talk Empire. Your source for Big Ken Kong, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Talk Empire, the biggest tennis podcast on the college football internet. Uh, there are not 14, but two of us here. Uh... This is Steve Braun. I'm also known as Thumpasaurus. I'm here virtually with my colleague, Andrew Krzyzewski. And uh, as we mentioned in the intro, uh, before we get to any of this Big Ten stuff, we took in Maction of the highest, highest caliber at Ryanierson Stadium, better known to y'all as The Factory in Ypsilanti on Tuesday. Yeah, and when we, and when we say caliber, we mean neither... So that's, it's one of those fun words that has a couple of meanings that can be, you know, cheekily different, right? So caliber here does not mean like the gauge of the barrel on the weapon, nor does it mean the quality. It's actually referring to the gauge, the size of like the needle of like the pure over the top college football junkie you have to be to drive an hour to go to a Tuesday night game. It was, what would you say it was? 36 degrees charitably? Fortunately, yeah, not a whole lot of a wind. Um, but I, <laughs> there was actually a lot more tailgating than I anticipated, which is to say there was tailgating, which is to say there was a non-zero amount of tailgating. Um, I would say 10 of people out there in the parking lot. Uh, but it, you know, look, as much as it's easy to kind of roll your eyes and <laughs> sneer derisively at a small, cause the stadium's goofy, right? It's your, your kind of standard high school shaped stadium. So bleachers on both sides, but not in the end zones. But then on the one side, the visitor's side, the bleachers don't go all the way down. Like they they start at one end and then they go down and they stop at, what would you say, like probably the 20-yard line or so? Yeah, it's the just... There's sideline, the bleachers just stop and there's this little hill, but there's no people sitting there. So it's just, it's like there's just, it has the distinct feel of they were building the stadium and they ran out of money right here. There was <laughs> so some college stopped. football game this week where there was a, I don't know if it was this, I'm pretty sure it was this week, where the stadium had a hill that was a lot like that, where there was just one guy sitting there that the, you know, the broadcast crew was pretty obsessed with just like, oh, this guy's just living his best life. <laughs> I just thought like, man, we should have just done that instead, just camped out on the hill. Um, what we did consider doing was going in the uh, into the South End Zone Stadium Club or whatever it was called. Um, like stadium club or field club or something like that. Uh, but then of course, the funniest thing was, I don't even remember exactly when the game this was. I think it was what, like second quarter or so. It uh, was. Western already had, Western Michigan had a lead at that point. They were driving, their drive stalled out and they were lining up for a field goal. And as they were, you declared something to the effect of, look, 
you, you know, do you consider going for you it? Don't, you know, you, you don't simply kicker. You, you don't, don't simply kick into the south end zone field club here in the factory at Rynearson Stadium. <laughs> and you don't were, just you don't just march in there and expect to kick a field goal into this hostile environment. There were about six people there. That's the thing. It would have nearly tripled our, our ticket price. And we also would have been about 25% of the attendance in this section. Yeah, well, and so it's this little, you know, kind of fenced off field level thing, like a couple tents and food table or whatever. And there at the beginning of the game, there were, what would you say, seven people in that thing? It could not have been double digits. And so if we had bought the, like, it would not have been all that expensive. We could have done it. But as you said, relative to the ticket price, it was kind of a lot of money for like honestly the field level experience i've never felt this very good at a football game you cannot tell what's going on if they're in the other half of the field um and, and then the other thing is if you're in that kind of sweet thing most of like if it's just the two of us i feel like somebody else there would have struck up conversation and be like oh hey you know go eagles what, what class are you guys and we like we could i'm there in have... my sickos shirt yeah right and i was i was wearing the shirt of the sickos meme or the Sickles cartoon. So you just had the Sickles shirt and I had the full Sickles cartoon thing. Sickles class had, of 12. Yeah. Now, granted, I had a jacket on over it. So I could have pretended I was there generally interested in the game. But, but it, I put my insulated to... shirt on, my insulated long sleeve on underneath my Sickles shirt so I could proudly proclaim my Sickles status there. Yeah. And so we either, if we had gone to that sweep, we could have either lied to these pe- to these people who presumably would have struck up friendly conversation, made up some shit about attending Eastern at a vague time frame in the past. What I could have truthfully said was that I marched right here on this field back in the mid 2000s because I did. I did. I had a marching band thing at Brian Earson Stadium in high school it's one still time. Very peculiar to me that a high school marching band from suburban Chicago had an event at Eastern Michigan. There was a Bands of America thing there. I don't know how, honest to God, I don't know how Ypsilanti got such a high-profile event. I'm serious about that because I played a, played that same event at two NFL stadiums. <laughs> what? Okay. You didn't tell me. That would, I mean, that's yeah, the Silver so Dome and the Edward Jones Dome. I mean, it wasn't, I don't, I think it was still active then. It was like 2003 it played the Somebody got paid a bribe for that to happen. There's there's no way that's a legit bid process if if it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, one year we'll play Soldier Field and and one year we'll we'll play it, you know, whatever the, the that, stadium. Whatever Cowboys Stadium was before Jerry Will was built. And then all right, this year we're gonna play Reinerson Field. <laughs> we're gonna be in we're gonna be in the Uper Dome. Actually, I'd much rather do the Uberdome. So, so yeah, so we either could have lied to those guys, or we could have just said, uh, "Yeah, actually, we're just college football fans in general, and we're here because this is the worst, most like worst over the top game we could reasonably get to on a weeknight." <laughs> like, I don't know if they would have appreciated that. Is the I don't know. Well, we could have framed it and and been like, "This is a very underrated thing that nobody really thinks about coming to. It's just it's made for TV." But I've always wondered what the live experience is like, right? Yeah, that's also true. That's a big reason that I wanted to go there. But to wrap this all up, even if we'd been there in the field club, I still would have declared that one does not simply come in here as a visitor and kick with confidence into the South End Zone Field Stadium Club at Reinerson Stadium. And sure and, enough, and the yeah, kick was not blocked. 15 seconds after you said it, <laughs> field goal the field goal was blocked. 
And then the guys behind, there was a group of, I believe, students behind us. And a couple of them are, are, are like talking to you like you're the damn Oracle after that. Yeah, it's just like, wow, I did not know the history of this place. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. We totally made that up. That's probably not a thing we don't think. Uh, so, Game proceeded. I mean, oh. it really looked like Western was going to, uh, to, to, to put it away kind of early but eastern kept having success running the ball eventually there were some some turnovers there was a there was a thick interception yes that's true to i i think to set them up with the game-winning field goal eastern kicked five field goals in that game and won against a pretty high-powered offense but it was one of these things where western michigan had the big plays that got them a couple scores they had like a 75-yard touchdown other games first points but then after that it took a long time for eastern's offense to get tracked i would guess i mean what do you think eastern michigan even had 100 yards passing that game i doubt it no i mean every time they tried they seemed to lose yards yeah that is, that is true is it clearly their pass pro was not all that great um but eventually they did get the run game going they have i forget where their running back is from their transfer but i believe he's a power five transfer but here's something. Here's two crazy things. One, general admission tickets cost twenty bucks for me. You know what cost me eighteen bucks? Six beers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Is it's it? I got the impression that they understand perfectly well because I mean, this is a Tuesday night game, right? And even though it's a hated in-state in-conference opponent in Western, it was Senior Day. Do you think there were three thousand people in that building? Because I don't. I mean, certainly under 5,000. Yeah. So in any case, and you're, I think you're talking, I mean, they had the entire second deck of the visitor side um, tarped off. So. Yeah, but those tarps were cooler than Northwestern's, man. They had the eagle eyes on those. Yeah, those do have the, the feeling of it's like, okay. Let's let's commission these tarps and let's keep in mind they're not coming off uh, anytime soon. So they need to be durable. They need to be high quality. We need to make this look pretty good. Um, but again, that being said, like I, I feel like half of the stuff I'm saying is being really backhanded. But again, it's as you said, this Tuesday night thing is setting the schools up for a complete non-seller for their own fans. But because all these you know, FBS schools are in this situation where you have to do whatever the TV contract says you have to do. What choice do you have, but to give them content on weeknights for the back half of the season that your fans just can't go to. I mean, even if it, like the students who were there, it's like, yo, by the time this game ends, it's 10, 11 o'clock. Like let's pretend you're a responsible student. And you have class in the morning. Even if you don't, if it's a weeknight and you don't have class the next day, you have other things you want to do. Like, how about you're a visiting fan? I mean, Western is is Western versus Eastern is one of the shorter matchups that you can get as far as drive time is concerned. That's still about two hours. Yeah, it's still almost a two hour drive from Kalamazoo to Ipsy, I would say. And and so yeah, it's just untenable. A good although I will say you know right as we were getting ready to leave because I between I was not prepared for the cold. You did a much better job. I also didn't drink because I had to drive us back. Um, and I, for some reason, the shot that you had me take before the game, like I had one of the worst bouts of reflux I've ever had. So I was miserable through most of it. And I had some I just, green stuff I was like, and I had I, some I got, brown stuff in my liquor cabinet. So I brought some green stuff and some brown stuff because it's Eastern versus Western, man. You got you to gotta get that maxion. Yeah, but uh, well, apparently did not agree with my constitution. So I, even though it was a close game and Eastern was kind of rallying, 
I was like, look, I can't, I can't, I gotta go to the office tomorrow. So we left stream most of the fourth quarter on the way back. And as you said, Eastern ended up coming back, but right as we were getting ready to leave, um, Eastern had a player, Baydoon, who had shown some nice moves all night and he scored a touchdown on a jet sweep. And his family was really, it was pretty close to us. And we know, cause a couple of them were wearing Baydoon number four, kind of like handmade jerseys. Um, they all go nuts. So that was like, a, that was a pretty cool moment, you know, cause it's like, you just watch your kids yeah. score a touchdown on ESPN. You know what else was a pretty cool moment? Somebody that was like clearly a visiting recruit about three or four times asked me to get him a Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is that is your thing. There were probably about as many recruits there as there were like non-family fans. There were a ton of high school kids tooling around with the uh, with the lanyards, and I was just at, most of them were local. I, I recognized just about every high school sweatshirt or whatever that I saw as somewhere in state. So, and you know, that's typical, I would guess for Mac schools, most of them don't really have much of a national recruiting budget. You have to be able to get recruits who are going to be able to come on their own dime and everything. So I would guess that's probably pretty typical, but it, yeah, that's that the other thing is it, it did, it lent itself somewhat to the high school atmosphere because there are a ton of high school kids wandering around because they, I mean, probably what would you say conservatively 50 or 60 recruits wandering around? Yeah. Like a lot of them. Yeah. Hey, so it was quite like, what looked like a whole lower level I, of a section. Yeah. I don't regret going. I have, it's not the first Mac venue I've been to a few years ago when Michigan state played at Western, I think in PJ flex last season there, maybe second to last, I was able to get there for that. And you know, it kind of was what it was. It was a sellout game. So a very different atmosphere. That's the one thing about, about Kalamazoo is I, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of it, but the stadium kind of escaped me. Where's Waldo? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, as as we move, I'm basically the the moral of the story is Maction, man, catch it. Um, the other moral of the story is if Ball State wins next week, then all of the Mac East teams have six wins. Or no, 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 is Mac, Mac East West. or Mac West? All the Mac West teams have six wins. Yeah, and probably what two of them end up actually getting bowl bids. So it's, it's kind story. of the other. It's it's a way to look at things from the other. How I, like, I can, I'm trying so hard not to be patronizing because these are legitimate programs with real people who cheer for them. But it's like you know every time we say, "Oh man, there's way too many bowl bids," there are plenty of Group of Five teams who make bowl eligibility but don't get to go automatically every year. So yeah, really, see, we we. Just to be clear, we don't say that, right? We yeah, don't say yeah, this. Year, a but lot of people every do. Time people do, and I don't understand that. Like, are, are you complaining about the, the fact that there's too much college football? Right. I was gonna say, you know, like this, especially that time of year. Once the season is really over, it's like, what do you mean? Like, this is actually kind of the perfect alignment. Like, you don't have to worry about the the fact that it's in a regular schedule is fine. Like, who really works much in the back half of December anyway uh, <laughs> anymore? And yeah, so that and that they're finally able to actually choreograph and line things up so that with the exception of like New Year's Day, you pretty much only have one game on at a time. Those programs actually get spotlights. Like it's a lot of, for a lot of those teams, you're, you're not playing big time away games or neutral site games or anything. That is like it's a much bigger deal. And yeah, it, I don't know. It, it, it's uh, it was a very it's a wonderful life kind of moment. It lends a lot of perspective to. 
honestly the privilege there's no better word for it that we in the big 10 and our power conferences have that it's very easy to kind of take for granted if your team's you know kind of slumped recently or say you get absolutely murdered death killed by ohio state uh i guess that's as good a point as i need to go ahead and get into this past week's games yeah i'm gonna get me a, a win fight try brewster of the week which comes to us from watermark brewing in stevensville michigan and it is brown bag special it depicts (laughs) it depicts a lion's fan on here right so this one's to uh, this one goes out to everybody whose michigan-based team got their face caved in or to you know anybody who's once again home for the holidays or still desperately trying to find a first big 10 win or uh it's a season (laughs) yep (laughs) it's a season to be merry so look, I know, I know that I said this game was going to be a slaughter and I, there was really no reason for me to change my opinion on that before the game. Michigan State is still without their starting left tackle. That's apparently going to be an indefinite thing, still without their 1A receiver. A number of other defensive players are playing with injuries. I still kind of hoped in the back of my head that we would at least keep it close for a while, like make them play into the second half at least. Uh, but no, and, and Ohio State, one up their uh, opening barrage against Purdue last week's against the Boilermakers. They scored touchdowns on their first six possessions. If I remember correctly in this game, they scored touchdowns on their first seven possessions. So uh, they got the ball, the Ohio State, Ohio State got the ball back with about 40 seconds left in the first half. And they didn't do anything with it at that point. Uh, but up until that point, of course, again, scoring on their first seven possessions means they got 100% of the available yards and because Michigan State actually got some good performances out of Bryce Berenger to set up a good, what would have been good field position, all that did was give Ohio State more room to work. And so in the first half, if I did the math right on this, and I think I did, Ohio State racked 501 yards before halftime. That's a, that's a bad total to give up for a game. So my question is this, okay? Based on kind of how you were before the game and then how you seem like I mean, unsurprised at the uh, at at the kind, but maybe a little more at the degree. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I like I said, I hoped we would keep it close. I hoped honestly that it would, and I even hope this after. Like again, it. I don't remember if if they scored their fourth touchdown in the first quarter, or if it was right at the beginning of the second. But either way, even when we got down like twenty eight nothing, which is about when I turned it off and started watching other things. I was like, it, you know, they did something similar to Purdue last week. They probably will call the dogs off if only to make sure CJ Stroud and those other and some of those other guys don't get hurt. Maybe we can kind of do what Purdue did, score a bunch of points in the second half and make the margin look respectable, right? Um, didn't really do that. And I really think there's there's honestly two reasons why. So on the defensive side, I don't really, I don't think that this is actually the worst pass defense in the country. And I know that that's what is a very popular line about them, but that's just based on total yards allowed. But if you then look at efficiency and yards per attempt, they're considerably better than that. But that being said, I knew it was going to be a problem. We saw this against Purdue as well. Again, not to the same extent because Purdue doesn't have the same level of talent at every position the Buckeyes do, but I knew that there were going to be games this season where the bend don't break thing wasn't going to work for two reasons. One, because you would get opponents like Ohio state that can convert in the red zone. And two, because you're also going to see opponents like Ohio state 
who get their guys behind your defensive backs, no matter how conservative and how far off you play. And that happened too. Um, My question is, I guess I assumed that, you know, Mel Tucker is not only a former defensive coordinator, but originally defensive backs coach. Same thing for Scotty Hazelton, Harlan Barnett's on the staff. He was a defensive coordinator and defensive backs guy. I guess I had assumed that at some point this season, they would start rolling out something else with these guys to do something in the back end um, to improve things, but they really haven't. And that's, I guess it's just, if they had that kind of trick to unveil, they would have done it by now. And especially at the corner spot, they've it's the situation where they've got basically five guys who they play. Four of them are transfers. And the last guy is a freshman. <laughs> and they've got like none of most of them have not stayed healthy over the course of the year. Um, it's just, it, it kind of is what it is. The defensive line gets decent pressure, but not against a line like Ohio state. And then on the other side of the ball, the reason they couldn't do anything in this game is the same reason they couldn't do anything in the first half against Indiana. Same reason they couldn't do anything after halftime against Nebraska. This offensive line is not good. Um, especially establishing the run against an opponent with any defensive line talent at all. How they, I mean, really, the Michigan game was largely a result of Kenneth Walker being as incredible as he is, but he wasn't able to do that. I mean, they, I think the other thing was pretty early on, Mel Tucker kind of realized it was going to be that kind of day because he only gave Kenneth Walker six carries in this game. Um, and granted, given how quick they were going, you know, punting the ball and giving it back in the first half, it's not like they had a whole lot more plays available anyway. Um, but clearly they understood it's like, all right, you know what? We, we have other fights left to fight. Let's just, <laughs> let's not get him hurt trying to, you know, giving him carries number 15 and 16 or something when we're down five scores. So that's kind of as what it is. I, you know, from the Michigan state perspective, I don't know if there's anything to do, but burn the tape and Mel Tucker's comments kind of alluded to that when he said, look, we need to get back out there and recruit. And there was a little bit of consternation in the fan base of, oh, man, y'all know how you keep your locker room if you're telling your guys they're trash. It's like, what do you mean? They had a better perspective on this game than you did. They're on the field. They saw they didn't belong out there with Ohio State. They know it damn well. Not to mention the last coach that got criticized for something like that. Beat a top 10 team on the road. Boom. (laughs) Uh, So, okay, so here's what I've been trying to get at here. So can you – be both of the opinion that, yeah, it's pretty reasonable to, I guess, not be surprised that your top 10 team got biblically housed against Ohio State, and also think that my black pill that I took regarding Ohio State is totally unreasonable. Um, hmm. Because, boy, I mean, if I have a black pill about Ohio State, yeah, I could totally see my my top 10 team giving up 500 yards and a half. Seems pretty bleak to me. I still think there are teams that are much better equipped to challenge the Buckeyes than we are. Um, was a uniquely bad matchup, I will give you that. Yeah, and it's again, it's not like we haven't given up some absurd yard shoals before. Again, I'm going to remind you, we made Hunter Johnson look like a top-tier Big Ten quarterback. <laughs> uh, so, again, just keep that in mind. And I, I, I say that even after giving – some of the qualifications I tried to about look, you know, the past defense, the overall numbers are kind of by like, not by design, but that's what they're allowing. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, uh, from the Ohio state perspective, I don't know what 
complaints. I guess you could say that the backup Kyle McCord kind of looked like crap through an interception. Plainly, there's a big drop off in that room from CJ Stroud, even with all the talent that's there. But again, you think back to how Stroud looked early the season. It's like, yeah, even for the most part, even the most talented guys don't look very good if they don't get much in the way of reps. So I wouldn't. Yeah, worry too much I about wonder that. how many Heisman winners, uh, how many Heisman winners in the past have had dudes in the first three weeks of the season from their fan base being like, "This guy's ass, man." When do we get the <laughs> fucking seventeen-year-old in here? Um, That's terrible. We're well, like, I mean, we might not even win the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, speaking of uh, this, this presumably puts the end to Kenneth Walker's Heisman campaign at six carries, twenty-five yards, and I understand why they held him out. Um, I think well, if also has, because if, you know running wasn't going to get them back in the game. I mean, you gotta. No, but honestly, <laughs> running might have kept it from getting as bad as it did, as fast as it did. If they, but Mel Tucker's trying to stay in and win the game. You know, that's that's the whole thing is. You know, he's more willing to go three and out in service of you got to be aggressive to try and push the tempo than to just like, well, let's keep it respectable and see if we can't get some pick sixes. I suppose. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, it, it's over. I mean, you'll recall I last week I started the preview of this game with thought, let's get this over with. And, and hey, it turns out there was no reason, you know, I, I don't think I was really optimistic that we would win or anything, but thinking that I would at least have a game to watch. I mean, I got up, you know, 730 on Saturday. Um, I hustled, got all the leaves raked and into the street. Um, I was you know, exhausted and tired by the time the game even started. And that, you know, by like 1230, 1245, I was like, all right, well, what else is on? <laughs> but it, it was just one of those things where it's like, I, man, I really don't want to watch football today right now. <laughs> like there's... I mean, don't get me wrong. I did, but I have those, I have those games often. Just yeah, like, well, shit. I don't like, even want to watch the sport anymore. This sport's stupid. Sport I know. Sucks. Like, well, the other thing is Michigan state basketball had a game at five. I was like, Oh, cool. I could just, you know, a little bit of a palate cleanser. It's Eastern Michigan. They'll have no problem winning that game. The game wasn't on TV. You know how long it's been since an, an MSU basketball game wasn't on TV because they put it at five o'clock on a football Saturday. I'm like, well, of course, every channel, you know, down to ESPN 12 is occupied with football. I don't like anyway. Uh, so that's that. I, I don't want to talk about that game anymore. It's over. Like I said, burn the tape. And this is the one, this is the one thing I, of course, I'm sure lots of people in a certain fan base in this state are, are going to have the jokes about, Oh man, good thing you're paying Mel Tucker $9 million or whatever. Uh, Dude, that's what happens you when you sign your coach to an extension, man. That's what yeah, happens this year. Right. It's like, you know, maybe you want to hold off and make sure your own team doesn't do as bad. Um, I don't think you will, but still that <laughs> the fact that he immediately uh, made clear that he understood that, oh yeah, we got a lot of work left to do. Uh, there's nobody that I'd rather have in that spot right now than Mel Tucker, because assuming they do get him signed to an extension and keep him around Florida fired their coach. Was it today or yesterday? Today. Um, that's another roster that's had top 10, top 15 recruiting classes going back indefinitely. That doesn't have a head coach. That's going to have a lot of players looking for a new place to go. You mean to tell me what the success Tucker had in the, in the portal after a two win year one, that he's not going to be able to grab some of these guys from LSU, Florida, USC, Virginia tech, who do not want to ride through a coaching transition 
MSU could be as could improve as much between this year and next as they did from last year to this year. Think about that. So you're saying they get like what, like 16 wins next year? <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, 16 wins. I like us to win the AFC North. Um, kind of depends on what the Steelers do with their quarterback position, I guess. Um, well, you mean you mean tie the Lions? <laughs> still one of the funnier. I mean, my wife is still just fuming. She's so I, mad. Imagine if the Steelers end up losing the division by that half because they tied the Lions. I mean, you know, the other thing, the Steelers after the Browns winless season, the Steelers tied them in week one. Oh my God. That's true. Oh, I forgot. Now, about that. that ended up aging better than this is going to, because you know, the Browns actually looked like, you know, kind of a football team that year, but at the time it was like, Oh my God. They were also breaking along, not winning or not losing a streak. Yeah, well, and the th- so the thing about the Lions... Or a long losing is, streak, a losing streak. The thing about the Lions this year is they've actually been weirdly competent on defense. We're like, they're, they're definitely getting the most out of what little talent they have on that side of the ball. And so they've what they've really just managed to do is every game... Like, they've had a couple... I think, like, the Bengals and the Eagles both blew them out. But for other than that, for the most part, they've Niners managed to drag... They've dragged every team they've played into these games in the teens, just like tons of field goals, hideous to watch. Their own offense is so bad that they don't win these games, but they keep them close enough that you could trick yourself into thinking, man, maybe they'll figure out how to pull this out. Uh, But man, they they are a dreadful team to watch. Now, where I was thinking this might happen was in state college with Rutger taking on Penn state. However, (laughs) however, (laughs) this Brown bag special, yeah, it sure looked so, like it was going to go that way for a while. I mean, this first quarter was just, just hideous. I sent you a screenshot where, like, I think Noah Vedral was two for two for two yards, uh, and Sean Clifford was two for eight for twenty-three, and both running backs, both leading rushers, had about five yards, and it was yeah. like nearly the end of the first quarter. And it well, and it continued. It was so close to the masterpiece of every possession in the first half being a punt, but then Penn state had to go screw it up and they stitched together a touchdown drive late in the first half before that, to start the game, these teams had rattled off 12 consecutive punts. So I think when you sent that to me, it was like seven or eight possessions in that were all punts. And you're like, wow, this now I continued for some time after that. I was just like, it belongs in a museum. Yeah, a, you know, <laughs> this is every bit the ass fest that I predicted it would be. And of course, you know who wins an ass fest? It's it's Butgers. Well, you say win, but I'm losing my four scores. So yeah, because it ended up not being an ass fest the whole game. Yeah, and so this is a pretty easy story for Penn State. And if there's if there's a single game they've had this year where you can kind of look past it, other than Illinois. Um, it would be this one because it turned out they had 35 players with the flu. And it's like, man, you know, I understand vaccines are a controversial thing right now, but if half your scholarship players are unavailable or extremely limited, like, you know, and the other thing is, I think if you're Rutgers, you're furious about that because you just played with an opponent where, you know, Sean Clifford had the flu, but he tried, he went out there and played for a while. He's yeah. beating his projectiles all over all the defensive linemen. And like Rutgers, Rutgers has a has game a, next week that they have got to win. Yeah, they have a bowl eligibility elimination game next week, and they just played an opponent 
who brought a, a charnel house of flu players to their game. So it's uh, not like it's not it's not, oh, my God, they're going to endanger people's lives. But it is they're going to endanger people's fucking college football postseason. I mean, that seems like it should be a pretty <laughs> big deal. I mean, I personally am I. I haven't gotten the flu shot yet, but I, I don't intend to ever skip it again because like, you oh, know, sure. I get that I'm not going to die from the flu, but it's like, why subject myself to, you know, being fucked up for a week if I don't have to? What's that? And I'm also like freshly aware of, yeah, I won't, I probably won't die of the flu, but I could kill an old person with it. Yeah, that's so, also I, true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but you're saying that you actually care about that. Yeah. I, you know, the, the life Very controversial of opinion. The life of a stranger is worth something to me. Like I, you know, I, I, again, I have a big take, weird position. Um, but so I, again, to kind of get back to how this game went for Penn State, why don't State, you move um, to Europe or something? They, I look if I could get a visa. Um, well, of course, the other thing is the other thing is I bought property here, so that was that was where they really got me. Damn um, it! But look, Sean Clifford tried to give it a go. I, again, this is just the latest. I, I presume for the Land Grant Trophy next year. He's going to come out with like an obvious case of lockjaw or something and just play like they'll get they'll give him like a little like a little tapping device so he can just, you know, hammer out the signals to his linemen in the huddle. Um, <laughs> because I mean, just like the string of ailments this guy's had this year. Um, and we've seen and I understand why he, they wanted him to give it a go, because we've seen what their offense was without him. And they went straight back to being they did, they did not go back to Taquan Roberson, who presumably is going to be in the portal by the end of the year if he isn't already. Um, instead, they go to Christian View. The oh, I finally figured this out. Apparently, it's Vayu. Is it? I've the booth did it like eight different ways. Um, okay, well, if it's Vayu, what I like about it being Vayu is that you know what that rhymes with Vayu LSU. Yeah. Do you well, think, think, do you think he'll take this guy with him when he goes? Oh, I see what you did there. Holy shit. Yeah, he would fit right in, wouldn't he? Oh, my goodness. I didn't steal this from Sunday morning coming down. I'll admit it. <laughs> um, Not directly from Go for Three, because we remember how, remember when we borrowed a bit that he suggested how, how contentious that got. But it was from the comments, and uh, I don't feel like scrolling through and, uh, and crediting uh, our source, but... Uh, no, I was not clever enough to come up with that one. And by not clever enough, I mean I didn't watch the game and actually figure out the pronunciation myself. Well, I guess I did watch some of this game, and I still really had no idea. I knew it was vaguely European. Um, but <laughs> but I, they, they said it a few different ways. I, I forget who the uh, play-by-play was, but they had Matt Millen in there. I'm like, all right, so however he's saying it is probably wrong because in spite of being a nice person and a guy everybody seems to like, he is still very dumb. And so I'm pretty sure he's saying it wrong. The other thing about Matt Millen is that like, he can't unfuck the lions, you know, like he can't, <laughs> like he yeah. can't, he can't un GM the two thousands lions. He can't un Owen 16 them. Yeah. And so there's, there's two coins that, which is, you know, at some point you have to kind of get over it. But then the flip side of that coin is there. Are I don't want to hear this guy talk about football. Right. Yeah. There, there are plenty of people, especially in this state, in the Big Ten footprint, who are who are just never going to want to hear him talk about football or think about him near football again. And I totally get that, too. Like if they if BTN brought in John L. Smith as a game, as a play by player, a studio guy or something, I'd be furious. I'd be like, you cannot tell me that I have to respect this guy's opinion about football. 
I should be, I should never have to listen to this guy. Well, I want to say the same thing, but can you imagine if they brought in Ron Zook, Tim Beckman, uh, or to a lesser extent, Lovey Smith? I mean, I'm not sure what Lovey Smith would say, but for sure, for sure, Tim Beckman and Ron Zook would be fantastic. Ron Zook was an analyst on CBS um, briefly for some, some event. It might have been a signing day thing where him and Rick Neuheisel, who both got fired before they could coach against each other in a bowl game or <laughs> the same thing for CBS sports. But anyway, uh, for this Rutgers basically just lost uh, a little control they had in this game and weren't really able to basically Penn state found something that worked on offense and Rutgers just couldn't. Yeah. Over, well, over the course of the game, uh, Bayou did get a lot better. He, it helped him settling considerably that there was no game pressure applied by Rutgers at all. So the Penn State defense was the best unit in this game by a mile. Uh, Rutgers could not do much of anything on the ground or in the air. 160 yards of offense for the Gers. Yeah, and it's it's just, again, like there's no pressure on his part to force a tight window or to attempt a big play into coverage. Like he, he doesn't have to do that. He knows that he can punt and the defense will give him the ball back in roughly the same spot where they punt it from. And so eventually as the game goes on, they, they sprang a big play to Malik Mega, I think is his name, a guy who I don't believe has really factored in their plans big before. Um, they got a couple plays out of Dotson in Washington, but not really gaudy stat lines. And so, yeah, they, they, with a, with a, I think a red shirt freshman quarterback there, because I believe he was on the roster last year, but didn't play they're able to kind of game script slowly, let the, let him get comfortable. And then he did make, he was able to make a few plays. They sprang enough big plays to put some points on the board late. And so it'll be interesting to see how they want to handle next week. I mean, Clifford presumably is not hundred percent from his previous injuries, but obviously this offense works a lot better with him on the field. And from my perspective as the opposing team, I'd much rather see the red shirt freshman in his seconds uh, real game action than Sean Clifford. As far as Rutgers goes, again, like I, I give them some credit for trying everything they could think of on offense. You know, they had pass attempts by three quarterbacks. They're still throwing Gavin Wimsat in there. I think at this point they've probably burned his red shirt. And if that's the case, now they have to balance, like, do we play Vedral thinking it gives us a better chance to win that sixth game? Or do we just give the keys to the kid and see what he can do with a week as, you know, with starter reps? I don't know. Um but look, the fact that they don't have a quarterback or receivers that can threaten anyone vertically, it just makes everything impossible because your opponent can just be in a red zone defense mindset the whole length of the field, knowing that you're going to try to run it or throw short passes that they just compress their defense. There's no need to respect that, drop your safeties back. They play 10 guys within you know seven or eight yards of the line of scrimmage, and there's no consequence for it. Yeah, I mean, so so ultimately, even in a game where Penn State was obviously home favorites, um, even though Clifford started for them, Rutgers was, in fact, the big, the big red dog. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, I'm, I'm kidding. That was good. I'll... Moving on. Uh, Purdue 32, Northwestern 14. Quick shout out to the Wrigley Field management for cheaping out and endangering the health of the players in this game by putting what appeared to be a turf-colored rug over the infield dirt, making sure that everybody who tried to plant nearly lost their balance. I can't. Why are we insistent on making football at, at Wrigley Field happen at Northwestern? Why do you keep doing this? Did did, did Mikel Shore not run for enough yards on you the first time? You know it's Fitzgerald's fault. This is absolutely his doing. Absolutely. Not even because you keep losing, but because, like, like there, there are all these signs that it's just a terrible idea. That's certainly one of them. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the action on the field, we're now deep enough in the season that we can say, look, this is a good team against a bad team, and you got a good team result against a bad team result. Northwestern spent a lot of their energy trying to keep David Bell from getting depth, from getting law. You know, sprung loose for big plays and that's fine because Purdue just shrugs and they're like all right we we have a well-designed passing offense run by a competent upperclassman quarterback we're just gonna go off with Milton Wright instead because he's perfectly capable of burning you too and that's what happened um I do feel obligated to point out at this point that an eight and four Purdue if they win next week, most likely ends up in the Outback Bowl, maybe the Citrus, depending on how stuff breaks ahead of them. And in such a bowl slot, especially if they follow the Outback or even the Music City, they could very well run into Auburn. So, oh boy, enjoy the bucket game is what I'm saying, because I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it could end up being one of those unfortunate things in the bowl game. So I extend to Purdue fans the same mantra I've tried to employ myself this season. Enjoy the high points as they're happening and try not to let the big picture stuff um, occupy too much of your mind. And of course, as was my fear, uh, Northwestern, November Northwestern uh, never woke up. Uh, they never actually beat somebody. So that all but seals our fate next week. But um, they had what could be described as an accurate passing day, but a very inefficient one, racking up 159 yards on 18 for 25. Right. They like moved the ball, but didn't get it where to the place where it really mattered. Yeah, and that's... You, you've got to have some element of vertical threat. There are enough good defenses in this conference and enough teams that do not execute sharply that... There's re- there are not many teams in this league that can consistently go on long, time-consuming drives. I mean, it's it, even the teams like, if you think of the run-heavy possession-based teams like Illinois, uh, Minnesota, Iowa, those are not very high-scoring offenses <laughs> um, on, over the course of the season. They have occasional games where things click and they get into rhythms and things go well. But for the most part, you're not talking about offenses that are going to be able to carry the action. Yeah, I have the ability to get big chunks at once because 
These are college players. They're going to make more mistakes. And we're once again talking about a really good defense in Purdue. This continues to be the story for them this year because, you know, obviously the headliner, if you look in the stats, is Milton Wright going for over 200 yards. Purdue can throw the ball. We know that. We've always known that. We've known that every single year that Jeff Brown has been there. But uh, it was 32-14 to because they kept Northwestern out of the end zone, even though they were able to, to move the ball, get 19 first downs. This is the best Purdue defense that Jeff Brown has ever had by a wide margin. And that just continues to be the difference maker and why they have a good shot at eight and four and why they've won seven games in the regular season for the first time since 2007. Yeah, very much so. And I don't know if you can necessarily call this a breakthrough season. It'll be interesting to see what their trajectory is going into next year and what should be a very interesting West. But if we call this a make or break season, the answer yeah, is I make. Jeff Brown, yeah, this is, I mean, this was a make. The shine has definitely had definitely come off of Jeff Brom coming in this year a little bit, because aside from a couple of big time, you know, glamour wins, they hadn't really done anything of substance over the long over the course of a full. They season. hadn't set themselves up into a into like a solid place in the hierarchy. Right. They were still kind of dueling Illinois for the Big Ten West, but Illinois and Nebraska for the Big Ten West basement. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're at least sleeping on the couch in the living room now. That's an improvement. So. Um, I, I mean, again, like it was nothing to sneer at. So no, but the point is, you know, they hadn't, they, they had a high ceiling, but they hadn't raised their floor. This yeah. year seems like this as them raising the floor. It feels like it. And it feels like that could easily be the case even next year when you can expect, like, I, I think Aiden O'Connell is done after this year. Like I've, I'm, this might be his COVID year, right? Or maybe he could have one more season, but in either case, you certainly expect George Karloftis and David Bell to both be gone, but it, there's, I don't think there's really a feeling of impending doom the way that there would be for a lot of kind of middle to lower tier conference teams that have star players like that, which is, Oh God, what do we do when this guy leaves? I think they'll be fine without those guys. I think it, the performance they've had this year, because again, Bell's missed a couple games. I think Karloftis has been dinged up once or twice too, but the good news is for Purdue, this hasn't been such an overwhelming defensive performance that blue bloods are going to come in and poach their entire defensive coaching staff. Right. 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 (laughs) That's always the worry, right? When you, when you finally put it together on one side of the ball, it's like, Oh, okay. Ohio state needs another analyst. Yeah. Well, like coaching your head coach now, they they finally had some success. And then I think both of their coordinators got poached and they replaced the defensive guy just fine, but they have badly missed Kalen DeBoer. Um, All right. So before we get to that, we're getting a little bit out of order here. Uh, let's go to your team's game, Illinois 23, Iowa 33. And I have to say, given the way that most of this game flowed, that is an astonishing number of points that ended up on the board. Well, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Basically. So here, my whole thing was in games, big 10 games this year where I'd gotten my run in before the game, uh, Illinois had been 3-0 and coming into this game and 0-4 in games where I didn't. My theory was that, you know, if I, a very big boy, have a very good athletic performance wearing Illinois gear, then that means that I'm, I'm giving a, a boost to the big boys wearing the Illinois athletics gear and that, and that the more big boys have good athletic performances in the Illinois athletics gear before this game, on game day, that translates to the overall performance of the big boys wearing Illinois stuff. <laughs> and I believed in this so fervently that two drinks into this game, as we were nearing the end of the first half, I went and ran for another two miles just because, <laughs> come on, 
Run the goddamn ball! <laughs> I'm gonna show you. This is how you run. I'm <laughs> just like, come on. You apparently need more from me than I've already given you. So, uh. uh, while I was on that run, I was listening to the, uh, you know, to well, not a radio feed, but the the, the TV audio of the game. And just uh, I think I scared my neighborhood because as I was doing that run, I was I was just screaming because there were two third downs where they were like, oh, what do you do here? Third and six, you know, but if you're Illinois, you kind of want to just keep control of this ball here. And I'm like, you run the fucking ball. And if you drop pass back to pass, you better, under, you know, you better as like a sixth year quarterback understand the most important thing is to keep the clock running. Instead, he throws an interception on one of them and then sails it out of bounds on the other one. Uh <laughs> But it's also it's it's hard for me to at this point really blame any of this on Brandon Peters because how in the hell did we have him throw the ball 36 times? I get that the running game was kind of getting suffocated, but like that was also true of games that we won where it eventually wore on them. Uh I think it was just after we got behind the scoreboard, we just kind of gave up on the run a bit, and uh that was basically the end of the game. I wrote my recap for the game in the second quarter when we fell behind because I kind of knew it was over then because game script was going to get really pass happy. And somehow the receivers are adequate despite two of them being quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, Stu got all saucy with you because like, lol, you wrote this before halftime and you're just like, look, I was born in the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like, like what, what did he think we were going to, what do you think yeah, was going to happen? That, yeah, that Brandon right. Peters was just going to start hitting him downfield or something like that. Like I saw what was happening. I knew we weren't going to, you know, right, we, we weren't going to just calm down and get like, we got rattled. We ran out of scripted stuff. Exactly what I was worried about. We ran out of scripted stuff and, and panicked. I mean, I think we lose this game anyway, but boy, you know, considering that I kind of thought with a 10, nothing lead, well, now we basically just have to protect this lead. And as soon as we aren't leading anymore, the game's over, man, having a free touchdown gifted to Iowa by just an incredible mistold that they kept going back to and saying, God, it's just incredible that he gets to the outside like this as a dude is just holding uh, one of the Illinois contain guy back. It's like, wow, how did he break contain here? This is just amazing stuff by Charlie Jones. Gee, I wonder how he got outside. Um, that ended up being a huge play that, you know, yeah, you obviously want to be able to respond to that play, but given our limitations, pretty difficult. Um Padilla yeah, was well, able I mean, to get I a lot of nothing, yards. I had nothing going offensively before that either. Uh, that was a complete. That, it was a a momentum shattering play for Illinois, and very much something that got Iowa off the mat. Because that was what, like mid second quarter or so. Like there, there's plenty of game left, but enough game had gone by with Iowa not really doing a whole lot on the offensive side. That it's like, man, you know, they need something to give them a spark here, and plainly, it's not actually going to be the offense. So, and and you know. You, even at that, like at that point, I don't think Illinois had quite turned to the pass happy game script that you were talking about. So it's like, we can't count on the defense to grab one of the interceptions they so frequently do. And as he's done multiple times this year, I think Charlie Jones is one of the more unsung guys in the big 10. And yeah, I, I saw the play. Yes, it was a penalty, but as you, as happens, you know, as everyone tells us, you know, fans of teams like ours, when things like this happen, uh, well, you know, if you don't win by at least 10 points, you don't deserve to win. So, okay. So, I mean, well, which I guess is why Ohio state is doing what they're doing now, because, you know, it's true. They, it's true. Ohio state does not leave it in the hands of the refs. That is very, yeah. so, uh, you know, but as far as holding, I mean, the other thing is, of course, you know, you're not going to get that call on, on the road against, you know, a team that's like 
generally won a lot. Well, okay, cool. Can't wait till we finally get to a fucking bowl so that Brett Bielema's team can commit holding with impunity and never lose at home again. Can't wait. Yeah, man. I don't think you want, I don't think, I don't think other teams want to see that from an, from an Illinois. Tell me, tell me, given what you've seen this year from the two road wins, you really want them to not call offensive holding? Yeah. But so you mentioned that you think getting to a bowl is going to get you that. That's not, no, 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 not a bowl, but like that will solidify kind of the, you know, any momentum he, he brings here, it could, it could, it could make that kind of clout possible to establish. Okay. All right. All right. That's what I'm um, saying. I will, I will say the other thing that I found interesting in this game, which is Iowa has, has kind of shuffled the, the most impactful players on the offense, at least in the passing game. So the thing that everybody comments a lot on is that they made the quarterback switch from Petrus to Padilla and it's gone a lot better since then. But they've also they're playing more of their younger wide receivers, uh, Keegan Johnson and um, Arlen Bruce the fourth. Which, by the way, it's fantastic that there have been three Arlen Bruce's already. But, Arlen Bruce. Yeah, but so they're they're That's playing. I want to call him. I think Padilla is a redshirt freshman, maybe. Um, and they've got a couple. You know, Johnson's a freshman. I think Bruce is either a true or a redshirt freshman as well. Well, so it's like in the off season, I just remember back that there are all these projections like, oh man, you know, this Iowa offense could be really good. They've got Sam Laporta, which yeah, he's good. And Tyler Goodson. And then all these big time playmakers, Nico Reganey and Tyrone Tracy. Neither of those guys have done shit this year. You know what uh, though? We're, we're in America. So I'm going to call him Alex Padilla. And uh, if he doesn't like it, then he can just, he just doesn't have to stick around here, but he did have some very impressive throws, uh, making them into tight coverage and was able to, I don't personally approve of this, but he was able to get yard scrambling outside of the pocket. And well, uh, scrambling really is like, that's, it's kind of like running away from your problems. If you think about it, I'd, I'd really rather. It's a very cowardly approach, but in this case, it did assist the Hawkeyes in setting up some field goals. And this I is always. We, yeah. And with with kind of the big picture in mind, I think we can overlook the cowardice that is scrambling on a few occasions for our young Hawkeye signal caller. So yeah, the only reason that this game got as high scoring as it did was because uh, Peters uh, threw a pick six, and then uh, immediately we just started chucking it down the field on our next drive. And actually, for once in the game, or for, for once in the game, he was able to find somebody in the end zone. And I, I just the whole game, it was like. God, at what point are we just going to accept that he's not going to hit one of these on third yeah. down? Well, you know, I didn't think of this because, I mean, during the game, you said that, look, it doesn't make any sense that you go to a game script that ends up in negative results because of too much Brandon Peters. And so then the solution is, well, you need even more Brandon Peters. Yeah, that's, that's the whole problem, right? Because it's, it's we, salt, we, he is he is salt water while you're adrift at sea. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not a solution. <laughs> Uh, but for some reason, you just can't see any other way out of it, uh, no matter how like your brain can know perfectly well as um, Illinois offensive coordinator Tony Peterson. They're like, look, this is not going to work, but I can't do anything else. I have to try it. <laughs> the, the plays were called OK. It's just that like they, they were executed so badly that it, at some point it's like you call other plays. Yeah, at least that should be should be the ideal. So. I mean, what I said in my recap shot here, which was about an hour later, was that 
while ultimately it's very frustrating to keep throwing away opportunities to win games. I mean, honestly, the best shot, in my opinion, was Tony Adams dropping an interception deep in Iowa territory that he could have taken all the way back for a touchdown. We were only down four. Um, And also, I mean, we kept getting kept starting drives way, way backed up because, you know, a good job by their punter, but also because we kept getting offensive penalties every single first down until we started just preempting that by getting penalties on the punt returns. Like, all right, we'll skip that and we'll just get penalties on the punt returns. Of course, um, you know, it's frustrating to have those, but it's also incredible to have this many games to throw away. You're not, you know, this, this is a step up from where we've been. What's a step down from where we've been was the Fox broadcast, which decided to not send guys to the game. And also the guys they didn't send to the game, even for not being at the game, were terrible. Uh, they still never really explain why the hell Iowa started a drive from our 20 after a bunch of penalties. They just didn't explain it at all. Um, things yeah, got- and I think that's probably something of a disconnect where if you're not at the game, does that do you even have a spotter in the stadium to tell you what's going on? Like that's about all I can come up with. It, that was, it was very strange. Um, I mean, I, I, I did, you know, it's amazing because I actually – didn't realize that the, uh, the 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 color man in the booth, the, the color commentary dude, was Devin Gardner until after half, where I had already declared him the worst color commentator I've ever heard. Um, yeah, I don't know. But then after that, I'm just thinking like, well, shit, you know, didn't you once throw a pick six that didn't even clear your own goal line? Shush. Yeah, and then you know before after that, but before this he was involved in some kind of like quarterback develop, like coaching thing around here. And I'm like, why would you want him to coach your pro your promising young quarterback? I d- Anyway, I don't know how he got that gig. Well, no, I do. It's because he's connected to Michigan. Um, <laughs> certainly not, certainly not because terrible. he did anything in that booth to deserve it. But anyway, that broadcast was uniquely terrible for Illinois. We took a very, very bizarre path to almost certainly four and eight for Iowa. I, I, I guess now they definitely lose to Nebraska and lose a bowl. Right. Um, well, yeah, because this this got them to nine wins already, didn't it? Or is this eight? Yep, that's nine. Yeah, no, I, I mean, 10 wins would be, wow, so weird. If they win 10, hmm. They did win 10 a few years ago when they beat USC in the Rose Bowl, I think. Or Rose Bowl or Holiday Bowl? Holiday Bowl. Holiday Bowl, no. When they went to the Rose Bowl, they got yeah, Christian They got Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey yeah. Um, oh, they got anyway. Christian mingled with. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's good. So we we went to Devin Gardner in Michigan, and uh, his his alma mater had themselves a good day at the expense of the Maryland Terrapins. It's taken most of three years, but you can finally see what Josh Gaddis's vision for this offense actually kind of looks like, and starting to win out. They've they've always got lots of weapons, and this year, really, the thing that they're lacking is the big downfield receiver. They kind of had that when Ronnie Bell was around, but that was never really his thing. He was mostly yards after catch guy. So they've got lots of really fast guys. They've got really good interior run blocking, um, lethal zone running concepts. And so they've now finally actually done this speed and space thing where they make use of all those weapons. You know, AJ Henning on a lot of the sweeps and then arounds. Roman Wilson's become something of a red zone threat for them. Um, they've unwrapped a couple of freshmen and Andrell Anthony. Now Donovan Edwards had, I think the biggest day for a Michigan running back, you know, a freshman Michigan running back in terms of pass catching ever. Um, 
And they're doing that all lacking a really big downfield receiver that would take the top off of the defense. They're still able to consistently move things chunks at a time. They get their tight ends involved. Um, and that last part is presumably the compromise that Harbaugh required to let them use all these spread formations the way that they do. Um, that being said, despite how good they look this week and the fact that they've, aside from Penn State, probably the only other team with the talent to possibly step up to the Buckeyes, I really doubt they keep it close next week. So for the other side, you know, again, when you score 59 points and win by 40, hey, it's all thumbs up. Maybe you, you've got as good a chance as anybody in this conference. I mentioned, hey, they had they had some very good stuff happen on special teams with A.J. Henning. Um going for a kick return touchdown and, and getting yards on several other returns, which, you know, is always a, always a plus when you can actually get positive yards on returns instead of, you know, you always take a risk when you're fair catching, you're always taking a risk and you take it out of the end zone, get yards. That's always a good thing. But in Henning's case, oh. he, Hey, <laughs> I got woofed at for reasons that remain unclear. Uh, I guess she's still mad about uh I guess for some reason she's still really mad about uh, AJ Henning being yet another uh, Chicago suburbs recruit to uh, not even think about looking at Illinois at all. Um, you may have to get over that, man. I don't think it's going to stop anytime. Oh, I mean, I'm obviously over that. It's just you know, Millie's Millie's only six. She doesn't realize that that's how the world works. <laughs> uh, so for Maryland, kind of a same story, different day thing. When we've seen ad nausea i mean every time it comes up mike loxley has plenty of talent on this roster but when they go up against an opponent that has similar or greater amounts of talent they don't have a chance like not a chance and whether that's penn state ohio state michigan i mean it, i i think they're more talented than michigan state but it's close enough that the the deficiencies in the scheme and the play calling and the game management are just so glaring like I don't think uh, he's never going to have a huge town edge over everybody in this league, but that doesn't mean that you like, you've got to adapt as a coach where it's fine if recruiting is your strong point, but you've got to have good enough coordinators and know what your role is on game day to, to make that work. You know, like the way James Franklin does, I don't think anybody views him as an X's and O's genius, but he generally picks good coordinators and gives them the talent to work with. And the other thing is it's possible to adjust from that model to a, a better one that works better for you. For example, PJ Fleck, um, a guy that I know we generally are a little more sour on than maybe we should be given his record, but he, he, but he makes very it very much, easy. He does make it easy. And he also very much reinvented himself coming to the big 10 from the Mac where look at, at Western Michigan, he gave them the best run in program history, took him to the orange bowl, because he was able to run up such an incredible talent advantage over the rest of the conference. You can tell that this. they had the best run in program history because they had a road game in Illinois. That's usually an indicator that you're about to have the best run in program history. Victims of 11 and 0 UTSA right here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> um, and so obviously like coming to the big 10, that was not going to be doable and they haven't really like they've been mediocre at best with recruiting. I, I they've, they've recruited think. well above the bottom of the conference, but certainly we're not talking like they're competing with Ohio state. Um, no. And, and, and most relevantly, it's not like they have a recruiting edge over their realistic peers, which are Wisconsin, Iowa, and Nebraska. They are still less talented on paper than those teams. 
And so what they've done instead is they've picked something, which in their case is running between the tackles, and they've gotten so good at it, pick the players they need for that min- and min- develop them very well. Yeah, that they can rely on that no matter where they are. It travels well. Um, it's the kind of thing that allows them to control game flow. It impacts a lot of other aspects of the game because their defense isn't exposed as much. That's a, that's a viable way to win in this league. I'm not saying you have to do exactly that. But you have to have something that you're so good at that it bleeds over into other areas of the game because you can rely on it. Um, you know, again, maybe your thing is converting third downs with an intermediate passing game. Like you've got a series of quick hitters that are run so good that it, they can't be stopped. Um, that's a, something like that. <laughs> or just continue scratching and clawing and hope that your talent advantage over your non-con cupcakes gets you to the pinstripe every year. You could do that too. I say cupcakes, but I mean, they played... West Virginia. Wolfing is imminent. There it is. Worf. (laughs) She's just making a face at me that's telling me Wolfing is imminent. Worf. Yeah, Tristan Worf's over here. And so, as we mentioned, they now have kind of a play-in game with Rutgers next week for a bowl, but it's not like we're talking about a good bowl. Like They're playing for the right to, to be the big 10 team that gets ignored in new york city the day after christmas you know so basically to finish up andrew's point i would like any maryland person to tell me what's maryland's thing what's their thing right that they're trying to you know how exactly are they going to compete to what's their strategy to deal with talent mismatches do they have one do they have what is what's your plan to win this same matchup next year knowing that michigan's probably going to look pretty similar i mean look with a lot of underclassmen Michigan plays, they could have a very similar team next year, except just better because they'll have more experience. Here's some bizarre stats. I mean, obviously getting outgained by 140 is not good, but they still only got outgained by 140. It wasn't anything like the, the Michigan State-Ohio State game or even Penn State Rutgers. They gained 360 yards and only turned it over once, controlled time of possession. Maybe the most bizarre thing was that they actually got more rushing yards than passing yards. Yeah, but it's again, it's like, is, is that your identity? Did you do that on purpose, or is that just kind of how it turned out? It's still like, I mean, here, it, here's their first scoring drive is 17 plays, 68 yards, 31 yard field goal. <laughs> and that's kind of just what we're talking about. It's just there's so much of this that of, of Maryland's program that feels like empty calories. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we got we to keep this moving here. So we talked about him a good deal in this recap, but we'll then pivot to the game PJ Fleck actually coached where his golden gophers handled Indiana really with no trouble, 35, 14, a field goal short of a Fetty whopping alas, but those things will happen. I, I feel like I'm a broken record saying this, but if Indiana doesn't get better offensive line play, they are, it's not going to matter who plays for them at quarterback. Doesn't matter if Penix comes back. Doesn't matter if they run Tuttle out there again. Um, I cannot believe the regression from that group because it feels like a couple of years ago that, I mean, you, you remember when Coy Cronk, I don't remember if it was before he transferred, he got hurt. And so they play Matthew Bedford for the first time as a true freshman at left tackle against MSU, I think. And I was like, wow, this kid is good. And then like two years later, he is not, a, not only is he no better, but they kicked him inside to guard, which for most guys should be easier. And it just like, I just don't get what's going on here. Like why they're making no progress. Like none of their groups on offense are really outperforming what you expect of them. 
and it really is mystifying. I mean, and then you saw like a couple of flashes from Donovan McCauley in some of the early games. And my God, his stat line is just horrific here. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I meant to check what he ended up at, but well into the third quarter, he had a three for 16 passing line. No, he, he was three for seven on the day. Um, they were eight for 19 as a total, but three for seven for 17 yards, I think is what you were thinking. No, I don't think that is what I'm and, thinking. Okay, well, I'm seeing I'm seeing that he had three for seven for 17 yards and two picks. I don't think that's right. Are you looking <laughs> at the SBN box score? I think I this am. is wrong. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> when I was watching the game, maybe it was referring to as, I don't know. I, they could have gotten it wrong during the broadcast, but I don't think that's right. I think ESPN's box score is just incorrect. Well, at a certain point, he uh, was replaced by Grant Gremmel, who sounds an awful lot like something they improvised in an interdimensional cable episode of Rick, Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Although <laughs> so do so do several of the Indiana names. I mean, some of my favorites. Ty Freifogel, Peyton Hendershot, shot, Irvin <laughs> Poindexter. Yeah. <laughs> Again, at least you can console yourselves with with consistent all main team entries. But yeah, I, the thing is, and like I said, I mentioned this before, Tom Allen really comes across to me as the kind of guy who is going to refuse to fire an embattled offensive coordinator. And he's not, well, what I shouldn't say is because I really have no idea. I don't know if Indiana's administration is anywhere close to hot seat with him or not. Given, I mean, look, this is one bad season after two good, really good ones. Relative but it is history. one terrible season. It is. And it also kind of feel like as, as things go on, it's starting to feel like all right, this season is much closer to normal than what we saw the previous two years. Like 2019, you can probably put some stock in that. But I don't know how long you extend the credit line built on 2020, right? You better make a bowl game next year, I think, is what we're saying. I mean, because this is... This is just so bad that even though it's Indiana, you kind of have to have that ex- expectation because if you don't get to 500, then it's like, oh, no, that was just the start of a downward spiral. And considering that 2-10 and 10 is the start of a downward spiral, oh, boy. Yeah, well, I mean, so we're kind of not, not really giving the benefit of the doubt, but I, there, there can't be much expectation that they're going to beat Purdue next week, given the way both of those teams are playing right now. Um, as far as Minnesota goes – I actually kind of liked what I saw from their play calling on the offensive side a lot more in this game. They broke tendency a little more threw on earlier downs a bit often, got their tight ends better involved, which they've been doing more the last couple of weeks. It's clearly never going to be an explosive offense as currently constructed. But again, I think most of that is it is designed to possess the ball, to reduce the stress on the defense, to shorten the game and to wear down the opponent, and they were able to do that. They started hitting some bigger plays on the ground later. Um, it, it is also impressive the, the extent to which they continue to find useful running backs. Kai Thomas looks like he could be the next guy, but it's like, I, man, I mean, I don't know what Trey Potts' long-term prognosis is, but you remember when he was the next guy and Bryce Williams looked good before he got hurt. It's just like uh, an abundance of riches for them at that position. And So next year... I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think Mo Ibrahim comes back? I can't imagine he does. I mean, he probably would have been drafted if he'd gone before this year. He missed an entire season with an injury. I guess all I'm saying is I don't know. I'm I'm almost positive he could, but does he? As want a running to? back, that's a risky proposition. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it likewise is a risky product. I'm assuming if he goes to the draft, he's probably like a fifth or sixth round pick, but he's also got the talent that he would be able to force his way on the field for somebody. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's really hard, a hard thing for me to interpret, but, but even if he doesn't come back, you've got a bunch of guys that should be coming back healthy next year that at one point had the next, you know, Minnesota running back, the next workhorse label applied to them. Yeah. And so it It feels like this happened a few years ago too. Well, it did. It did when they had Ibrahim was at one time. Ibrahim was the guy. Yeah. When yeah, Brooks and Smith and uh, who's the third? There was another guy. Was after there were, was I'm pretty after sure Cobb. there was a third guy in that picture. It might have just been Brooks and uh, and Smith. Who I think didn't Brooks get in some trouble and Smith was injured or, or something like that. But well, either way, they were both unavailable. Yes. Yeah, so it, it's a thing that's happened before, and they've done very well to get into the next man up situation there um so last game of the week steve i'm going to tell you something i just need you to bear with me because i know it's going to sound unbelievable would you believe it if i told you nebraska lost a one score game in the big 10 this year the only way i would believe that is if you also said that they had a fourth down play in the wisconsin red zone that came up just short and also had some controversy at the end of it. Some, yeah, some controversy at the end. And then again, we're, we're in outer space here, but I just want you to bear with me and, and buckle up. All right. Um, what if I also told you that Nebraska refused to attempt short field goals and had an awful interception in the fourth quarter, again, in a game that they lost by a single possession? Well, would again, you, that would, would only make sense to me better. if they do also I, I... if they also outgained Wisconsin and controlled time of possession, but had two turnovers. Well, now you're now you're straining credulity. Okay, like come on, come now, surely not. They so, didn't uh, happen we're, to we're allow. Here, they didn't happen and... to allow a 53 yard touchdown run with like under four minutes to go in a tie game, did they? I could, I can't see how that would happen. That's that's. It's, it's just, it's just, I think one of the reasons that we have this reaction is because like, even though I, I said this was exactly how this game was going to go, I still can't believe it's literally so easy to predict. Is this like a weird reboot of Groundhog Day or something it, where Scott, exactly like where Scott Frost day. lives the same day over and over again? I just saw the week, last. But the rest of us move forward in time. All I saw and was the last. The same day, uh, this team makes the same mistakes. Yeah, all I saw was the last drive of this game, and that was just enough for me to know how it was going to end. I mean, honestly, what I'm more surprised at is that instead of a controversial uncalled DPI, uh, the receiver didn't, in fact, catch the ball only to be measured an inch short. Yeah. And then, of course, they showed, you know, several angles of the Scott Frost reaction face, and it's like, you know, is R slash watch people die inside. Yeah, we um a few of us in the Slack started venturing guesses as to how the game was going to start. Because of course the same thing happened that always happens in Nebraska games, which is they keep it really close and the fans of the like the writers of the other team are like, oh my God, this is terrible. We are the worst. Like again, people you forget when you did because you just look at their record and you're like, oh, Nebraska is bad. No, they're not. And so then you get into a tight game with them. It's like, oh geez, how's this happening? We're gonna lose for sure. And then the Nebraska writers come in. They're like, "Oh no, 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 no!" <laughs> uh, 
and the Nebraska people are all That's excited about so that. That's so fast, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> and so Wisconsin was up by a touchdown, and we started predicting it. I still feel like my prediction is the one that really, like, like true to form should have happened. I think maybe Stu and I came up with this together, which is Wisconsin's got the ball. They're up a touchdown. They're going to kick a field goal, and then Nebraska will get the ball. They'll score a touchdown, miss the extra point, and then come down and be in a position where – they could kick a field goal late in the game, but because they're now down four, they have to go for it and they don't get it. And there's a controversial uncalled defensive foul. Um, that was what we thought was going to happen. It didn't go that way exactly, but. But only because the score was seven instead of four. Right. And so spiritually that did happen. Uh, <laughs> so I just, man, anyway, um, I know they extended Scott Frost, but he's five and 19 to one score games with Nebraska and. I don't want to ruin the preview, but I'll tell you what I'm going to predict in the preview, which is Iowa's going to win 27-24. I mean, <laughs> no other way that anything else happens. Gonna, it, and Nebraska will allow game really, by about 100 yards. Like, that's going to happen. <laughs> honestly, what Scott Frost has done at Nebraska this year is arguably one of the most impressive things I've ever seen, which is you literally compete with absolutely every team on your schedule and with few exceptions, beat none of them. Like that's 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 a lot more that's a lot more difficult needle to thread than what Mel Tucker's done at Michigan State. Oh yeah, for sure. It's I, he must like, have like how could you not have, accidentally win one of these? It's just incredible. He probably found some long odd like a Latvian sports book or something, um, where like he'll he'll go one and eight, you know, one and eight in conference, but have a positive point differential because that's possible. If they lose to Iowa, I think it's by three or fewer points, they will have gone one and eight in conference play and still maintain a positive point differential on the season. They have the because same record as Northwestern. Of, yeah. Who they beat 56 to seven. <laughs> uh, it's just, again, like do wonders never cease. Um, yeah. I don't know how Nebraska fans are even still doing it. I mean, well, they're uh, not. I mean, that's remember they are, they're, they're not. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, our writers made very clear, like, oh, I'm not watching this shit. And then look again. I told you. I told you perfectly honestly. I made it to 28 nothing Ohio State, and I was like, I've had enough. There's no need for me to do this. And I only get so many weekends in my life. I'm not spending the rest of my Saturday on this because it's just going to put me in a worse mood. I'm going to start the the grumpy detox process right now. Get See, I couldn't do that him. because Iowa just couldn't land a fucking mercy blow. <laughs> They're just too shitty to put us away. I just hoping that something would happen. <sighs> but that being said, you know, Nebraska fans have been very tactful because they know damn well if they tune into even a second of this game, they'll get sucked into it because it's always going to be like this. Yeah, because they're again, there's no way that next week is decided by more than a score. No way. It's possible that Nebraska boy might actually pull it out. Um, but I, I wouldn't bet on it. I would, I would bet something like 27, 24 is going to be final score, uh, which of course is a way to make sure that we either get six, three or a game in the fifties. Um, from the Wisconsin perspective, the defense looked a little more vulnerable here, but again, Nebraska has kind of a uniquely tricky offense that has given Wisconsin trouble a few years running now. It really shouldn't be troubling to them that Nebraska scored some and gave them a game because Nebraska does that to everybody they still control their own destiny to win the West and go and take a savage beating from Ohio state in the conference title game. Well, I mean, or Michigan, that would be an, you know, honestly, 
the most interesting thing would be what happens if Michigan and Wisconsin play a rematch because it would not go the way it did the first time, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with that. It would be – I don't know. It would certainly be because I feel like Michigan is also playing a little better than they were at the beginning of the year, but certainly yeah. not by the same margin that Wisconsin is. Oh, yeah, but Wisconsin is playing vastly better. Yeah, so Wisconsin's cooking with gas. Yeah, I think it would, it would be very interesting. Um, but, yeah, all that being said, uh, we're coming down to the end. It, it's, been, it's, been, it's been so good to get back to somewhat resembling normalcy this season, even though I, have, I had my wedding dropped right in the middle of the season so like i was like the two or three weeks before it i was just like uh-huh yeah football also just silently screaming in the back of my head every second of every day so it's like we waited so long i just wanted it to go well um and it did and again this season has been a dream too even with this week's results like it's still been far better than i could have expected it's just we're already staring down the last week of the season i and again i understand perfectly well conference title games bowl games um the playoff, all that still happens. But for most of us, the games that we care about, like the regular season is it. And well, for, for some of us, the regular season is all we get. Your source for big and it's off tackle empire.